and welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know-how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today, I am really excited to welcome to the show my friend, palliative medicine specialist and medical leader, Dr. Mandy Brisebois. Dr. Brisebois is an ICF certified wellness and executive coach specializing in healthcare, a general internal medicine and palliative medicine specialist, a formal mediator, and she has extensive training in conflict, negotiation, equity, diversity, and inclusion. She served as the medical director for a large 360-bed hospital through the COVID pandemic, and is currently the medical director of the Covenant Palliative Care Institute, as well as an associate chief medical officer of Covenant Health. She's completing her Master's of International Health Leadership through McGill University, and has trained at multiple world-renowned organizations, including the Mayo Clinic, Berkeley, Oxford, UBC, and the Justice Institute of British Columbia. Her leadership specialty is helping practitioners and teams find success through conflict and learn from these successes to create happier, more efficient, and more effective healthcare teams. She has spoken at many international events and is a published author in her fields of expertise. What an incredible mission. And I think it's fair to say that Mandy is leading the way with inspiration. So without further ado, let's meet Dr. Mandy Brisebois. Welcome to the show, Mandy. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and speak to the show's audience. I don't know how you've got the time to fit me in with all the things you're doing, including a master's thesis at the moment, but I'm super grateful. So thank you so much for coming on. I am so happy to be here, Adam. Uh, you know that I love talking to like-minded people. And I always laugh when I hear all that stuff I've done because I think, why on earth did I do that? But that's part of this leadership <laughs> journey that we can talk about. I know what you mean when people say to me, oh, wow, you're a barrister as well. I'm like, yeah, that was just me going through a period of being foolish. <laughs> so exactly. Exactly. That's that. a whole story on its own um, of why we do these things. That's part of my thesis. <laughs> I can't wait to read that. I think I hope that's going to be published from, from what you've told me. Anyway, I'm trying. <laughs> Superb. Okay. So in your in your own words, because I mean they they were your words, they were your your written words, but let's sort of personalize it a little bit more. Please we tell the audience a bit more about yourself, including what your current work roles are and what leadership positions you currently hold or have held in the past, please. You know, it's interesting when you see a bio, because it can look very impressive. You hear everything that somebody's done. But the story behind it is what is really interesting, not just those words. And um, I'm the Associate Chief Medical Officer of a big organization in Alberta, Canada. And I work with innovation and seniors care, health information technology. Those are my portfolios, integrated services. And I moved up through that position. I think we'll talk to you about my leadership journey a little bit. But I'm also the Medical Director of the Palliative Institute and uh, one of the most interesting leadership roles that I hold is a middle management leadership role. And it's always interesting how we view leadership, you know, high, high level leadership, which those two roles are, and then sort of leadership as you go along. And so I'm also the physician advisor for our Edmonton Zone Medical Staff Association. And this is a leader in, with respect to supporting physicians more direct one-on-one -on -one support rather than that big systemic view of leadership. So, um, and then I have a, roles with the Alberta Medical Association as a consultant with respect to conflict work. And those are the big portfolios that I'm working on right now. And then I'm a leader in the clinical realm. So I am I'm working with our transplant teams, starting new innovations with integrated palliative and transplant clinics for chronic illness patients, which is my clinical area of expertise. So I, I have all these pockets of leadership. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we forget sometimes in healthcare, that leadership isn't just the clinical stream. 
you have these operational streams, you start getting higher, and higher in leadership and, and start to have a real system impact. Hmm. And then you get into leadership streams where you're looking more at education or more at one-on-one clinical type of behaviors and leadership. So I kind of have my hand in a lot of different areas of leadership, which makes my job a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds fantastic. That really does. It's probably one of the most varied leadership portfolios that that, that any of my guests have ever had actually. So uh, yeah, I can't wait, wait to find out more about those different roles. So, um, so given the different roles, this may be, um, a difficult question to answer but what's your pers- personal leadership style does it vary with the different roles or no i'm a i'm a hardcore collaborative leader mm. i have been for my whole life even through informal leadership and really about listening to people and knowing people there's two books out there that i adore one is called humble leadership and one is called authentic leadership and they really tie right into this collaborative leadership. And humble leadership is about knowing the people around you. So you're a high-level leader, really looking at the systemic picture, but you know the individuals. And there's a lot of evidence that huge organizations that are moving to this type of organization and actually knowing what the people around you are going through are more successful than those who don't. So I've really bought into those concepts, although this humble leadership and authentic leadership may not be, if you start reading a book on leadership styles, might not be in there. But I really think those are the wave of the future. So I really fit into those three uh, kind of groups of being very collaborative and uh, listen to people around me. Definitely not an assertive leader, although I do believe that these leadership styles are all really valid and matter it's how you can shift from one to the other Mm -hmm. so as you say you know what's your natural style but then sometimes you do have to be more of an assertive leader and you have to learn how to do that so i've really worked hard to learn how to have all the different leadership styles within my portfolio Mm -hmm. and my my um what do you want to say my pocketbook or whatever so that i can pull them out when i need them yeah yeah Exactly. But my natural yeah. tendency certainly is to be collaborative. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. No, that um no, that's you you're you're right. I've I mean I haven't heard of that book, Humble Leadership, but I, I certainly will uh look at that now. Um but the way you describe it reminds me of kind of compassionate leadership, servant leadership, inclusive leadership, relational leadership, that kind of stuff. Um it's uh it's not actually one of my one of my questions uh, usually, but uh, you know, can I can I just ask as a follow on, um, you know, given some of the systemic roles that you have, the the senior leadership roles in in the system, um, how how do you manage to maintain uh, some of those personal relationships? I mean, you can't you can't know everyone in the organisation, right? So who do you who do you choose who to be more personal with? If that if that makes sense. It's really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was the medical leader through uh, at, at this big hospital in our zone through the pandemic. And it's one of my biggest regrets. I don't have too many regrets. I really live in the moment. It was very difficult to be on the ground because you weren't supposed to be on the ground. You weren't supposed to be in the hospital wandering around for fun, shaking people's hands, saying, how's it going today? Everything's locked mm-hmm. off. And And I started that job right before the pandemic hit and then I moved on to other things uh, right as it started into this new kind of area of not being as um, oppressed almost. So it was very, very difficult to get to know people one-on-one the same way. But I really do make an effort to reach out to people. I do a lot of Zoom and people say, oh, that's not the same, but you really can make Zoom work. You can connect with people over Zoom. You have to listen and ask people questions, ask the right questions. And you know, as a coach, the coaching really helps teach people how to ask the right questions. Mm. And that really helps get to know people. That's the appreciative inquiry piece where all these what questions and tell me about this. And I've learned so much about how to find out what people are going through. But we were talking right before you started recording about my master's thesis about health leadership. And that I almost didn't do the interview part 
that I wanted to do. And I'm doing this where I'm interviewing, you know, 18 high level leaders in our province. And the reason I really, really wanted to do it is I wanted to connect with them. I want to hear their perspectives and have them see me like this one-on-one and really learn what I'm about even more. They know me in theory because I've been around for a long time, but not hearing what I'm doing and they were super excited. So I think when you have those opportunities and when we talk about leadership, a lot of time young leaders come to me and say, I don't have time for this. I'm not getting paid for this. Why would Mm -hmm. I do it? Yeah. And I'm not getting paid for any of that. But it's so exciting to hear people's perspectives and it gives me so much hope for my job. I'm a very innovative person. I love thinking about the next way to do things better, that it's fun. Yeah. And so I try to take hold of as many opportunities I can that are fun, whether I get paid for them or not, and that I can sit in front of people. So things like the master's thesis, I, as I said, I sort of pull my hair and wonder why I signed up for that, (laughs) but it has been so fun and I have met so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I, I, I love that. I love the, you know, the fact that you, you talk about not necessarily, you know, even earning any money for some of these roles and certainly not, not doing it for the money just because it's, uh, it's fun. And, and, you know, you just really wanted to learn from these people. You've, you've got, you know, tremendous growth mindset there. Uh, Mandy, I don't mean to patronize you, but you know, it's, it's just, not always it's like just, that. I can be, <laughs> I can assure you it's not always like that. Sometimes when I've, I'm doing, I took on a workshop and actually I'm getting paid for it, but I, I'm like, I have to do this thing. <laughs> why, why did I do that? <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think being excited about something yeah. and doing something you're interested in. And I, I do a lot of coaching and mentoring for my younger colleagues or even my colleagues at my stage in my career who want to do something new. Yeah, It has to be something you're really interested in and why get stuck in something you don't like. And this is where I help people through the conflict is mm. that they're doing something they hate and yeah. they've hated it for a lot of years. So finding something that you enjoy is really important in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Love that. Um, okay. So now we're getting on to the, the, the interesting bit, I think that, uh, from your, your point of view about your journey to mm-hmm. leadership is that it's much more interesting than the actual roles themselves. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to hear about this. So share, share with us, uh, your journey about your journey to leadership, please. You know, I love my journey to leadership and I laugh because I never wanted to be a leader. And you hear this a lot. Uh, you know, what, well, what does that mean? Because we're all leaders. You know, I do do a lot of talking about informal leadership and formal leadership. So you cannot have a formal leadership role and be a leader. But when I got into medicine, I was a researcher. So I did insect neuroscience research. So I have a master's in that, locust research, neuroscience. I had really no interest in medicine at all. And then I was at a conference one day and there was a poster on teaching in medical school. I'm like, cool, I think I'll be a doctor. And, you know, I didn't know any doctors. I honestly didn't know what doctors did at all. I I knew my family doctor. I didn't know there were different kinds of doctors. I didn't know there were surgeons. I was pretty stupid. I honestly didn't know any of that. But I was a high achiever, so I thought, cool, I, I'm going to go teach in medical school. And so I applied to a bunch of medical schools. And because I was an older, sort of more senior, I had a master's degree, et cetera. So I got into medical school, and I I had to really study hard. So I'm study, I'm someone who has to study hard to do well. I'm not just naturally brilliant that sits down and everything comes easy. So I studied hard, and I got out into clinical medicine. I didn't want, I didn't take on any leadership roles and love clinical medicine was an educator. Uh, My big thing was teaching for 15 years and I won a lot of awards in teaching. And so you think I wasn't a formal leader, but I was a leader, you know, as an informal leader there, I was, I was leading all these medical students to want to love their jobs. And it was such a great part of my career to be that informal leader and uh, always cherish that. And then someone came up to me one day and said, wow, you've won a lot of awards. You should apply for promotion." Because I was part of the university system. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I should get promoted. Boy, I've been around 15 years and I easily meet the criteria. So I applied for promotion and uh, I didn't get it. And I thought, what's happening? 
how can I won like 25 teaching awards and these are big, yeah. like zone wide things. And so I looked at the criteria. I'm like, this is stupid. So I appealed the decision. There was a whole process for appeal. It was clear in the guidelines and everything. And I'm fine. So, so I appealed it and they basically took the appeal and threw it in the garbage. They didn't apply. They didn't respond to it. They didn't acknowledge it. They just said, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, you sort of meet it, but you haven't done enough committees. You haven't done enough leadership. You haven't done enough other stuff. So mm. we're going to wait for a year and then approve it. But they they didn't follow the process. And I thought something is wrong with our system that we have to go through this and it says there's a process. So I applied to become to go on that committee, on the promotions committee. You had to get elected onto it. So I applied and I got elected onto that committee <laughs> because I thought this, this is something's got to change. I got to see how this works. Yeah. And so I sat on that committee and I started re- thinking about it and thinking about things on a more systemic level. And I thought, this is really interesting. I'm going to start to do some other leadership things. So the facility chief of medicine at our hospital came up this position, and this is in charge of all the cardiologists and pulmonologists and general internists, et cetera. And um, no one wanted to do these jobs there. Uh, as I'm interviewing people, everyone's talking about leadership being the dark side. And so I said, uh, I want to do that job. And they're like, what? You, you don't want to do anything. I was like, you guys don't know me. And this is that humble leadership because I had kids. I had a husband in the military, also a physician. Like I was busy. So I'm like, I wish someone had asked me if I was interested in leadership. Anyway, I took on that role, the facility chief of medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty big role. I didn't know at all what I was doing. I wish I could go back and look at that interview. You know, they ask you your experience and what's some trouble you've had with leadership. And I, didn't, I had none. Like I had no experience. So I took on that role and I did it for about almost five years. And I had this huge love-hate relationship with it. I love it. And then I just feel stuck, you know, dealing with conflict or something that I felt very ill-prepared for. Mm. But I learned on the on the job. And then the role for medical director came up and I thought, I want this job. And I'd done a lot of training in leadership in between. So formal training. And even before, as I was a teacher, I did a lot of training because I love human behavior and leadership's all about human behavior. And I never realized that. So I thought, wow, I love human behavior. I've taken all these courses because I'm interested in these things and how we operate and why we don't have processes, et cetera. So I really got deeply into it and I applied to the medical director job and it was a big competition. There were a lot of people that applied. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get this? But because I had done so many courses, I was so passionate about it. I'd done very well in the leadership role as the facility chief. I got the job. And so here I am now, someone who had never intended to be a high level formal leader, but always probably an informal leader with this high level uh, formal leadership job. And and it's just really morphed from there. Then I, they came to me to do the medical director job of the Palliative Institute. And, and when I took on the Edmonton Zone Medical Staff Association job, I had to step out of the medical director job because there was a conflict of interest, because I was helping people through conflict. And as the medical director, when people are in conflict, you have to deal with it. We'll so I couldn't it. really do both. So they shifted me to the associate chief medical officer job with some different portfolios. And that's really how I got into it. So it seems almost like a fluke because I didn't know what leadership was. I had to find this way. And because I'm older, I've been in medicine for 22 years now, like after graduating from my mm-hmm. residency. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things we were talking about before it got on in my thesis is about the physician voice in our healthcare systems. And one of the things we're doing better at is teaching students, as you were saying, you were just giving a workshop to students on coaching yeah. and leadership, teaching students and and residents about leadership. And, and that's really my big passion now with the conflict work is helping people through conflict, but helping people realize how we can make our environments better and really being an on the ground leader. So I've made these really huge transitions to these big formal leadership roles to really back in front of people talking about leadership and how we can all sort of work together to have better health systems and how we can honor all the different leaders in our in our system in different capacities. Wow, that was that that was worth waiting for. Thank you. That's that's <laughs> that was, long-winded, but it is a long-winded no. journey. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not it's not long-winded uh i i really enjoyed listening to that and uh i mean in, in my my opinion for what it's worth i don't i don't think it's a fluke at all that you um you ended up in leadership you know um uh after the um all those years of educating getting onto that committee i think that's an absolute that's classic getting onto that promotions uh, committee and you really <laughs> learn that you have to try things because i was complaining to the chair of the committee i was like this is honestly this is crap that you can yeah. just do this you know and, and this is a friend of mine these they're friends of mine yeah. for a lot of years on the committee and uh, i actually think it was them i know it was them who blocked me they wanted me to do more stuff <laughs> And uh, I said, I'm getting on this committee. She's like, good luck, because you have to get elected. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, you know, hey, us type A personalities, we like a challenge. So, yeah, okay. And I've never put my name forward for an election before in my life. But, hey, I wrote up the whole thing and and put put in there why I wanted to be on the committee. And, yeah, uh, yeah, hilarious, right? (laughs) But so well deserved, and then obviously you then learned a lot about leadership through all the courses that you did, and and so by the time you applied for the medical director role, you know you probably you you know in terms of the amount of theoretical experience you'd you'd got as well, you were probably you know way kind of um, out outshining all the all the competition. So oh uh, yeah, I had I, I, so I, much yeah. so much formal education, um, which yeah. actually I think has hurt me a little bit now. And that's a whole mm. nother story. But I have so much formal e- education. I think it's a bit intimidating. Mm. And I have been told by people that. And I'm like, me? Because I'm a pretty, like, look at me. I, I don't know. I'm a pretty casual person. But mm-hmm. when you think on paper, all of these things, oh, you're a formal yeah. mediator and you're a coach and you're a dual specialist. And what is this person doing? Mm. Um, that's a lot of that is from lack of confidence. It's not from yeah. somebody who's um, you know, in your face and assertive and you need to respect me. It's someone that's trying to find a way of being better. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's really interesting as you go uh, getting more and more education. It's something to yeah. think about. Sometimes people don't want someone who's that well educated in yeah. all of these things. And they want someone who's um, able to play a role almost more than do something new. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And also, uh as you, as you say, maybe intimidated, uh, they're kind of thinking, oh, you know, that person has more qualifications than me. You know, they're going to be coming yeah. for my job next kind of thing. Right, right. Um, like, why did they yeah. do that? But this yeah. is that humble leadership, like asking yeah. someone, you know, someone asked me in an interview, tell me about all this education. They'd hear the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. nice. All right. Yeah. Superb. Thank you. I love that. Um, okay, so... Were there any people senior to you, um, physicians or otherwise, um, female or male, that that helped you kind of, um, you know, kind of rise through the ranks and helped you on your way? It's a perfect segue question. Good for you. And as I was sitting <laughs> here, you. I thought, I thought, I really forgot this piece. I should have told him this piece. How am I going to tell him this piece? And now this is the piece. So when I got declined for promotion, I had never had a mentor. And I'm a huge advocate for mentors now, but I didn't have anyone. And when I was declined to promotion, I was angry. Like it took a lot of hours of psychologists um, (laughs) to support me through this because I knew on paper I should have been promoted. Yeah. And I still, and I had high level leaders in our discussions tell me that too. Yeah. So it wasn't just me, but I was so angry and I thought, but what am I going to do about it? I remember the psychologist saying, what, you know, what is it going to do for you to keep hammering on this appeal? Like, what's your goal? And I yeah. said, well, my goal is to be respected. And she's like, so is hammering down on this appeal going to get you respect? And I'm like, no, mm. it's probably going to yeah. make people even more angry. So it was really good to think about what I wanted at about not getting promoted. And so I reached out to a colleague of mine who I've known for years. She was in high level leadership, a very, in even higher now, very high level leader in our organization, Dr. Kassam. And she's a friend of mine. Our kids played hockey together. So I felt very comfortable with her. I knew her for many years. And I called her and I said, look, I need someone to give me some advice. And I'm really upset about this thing. And I think she was the, I can't remember what her position was then, but it was the head of medicine or something at the university hospital. So a big position. Mm. And I sat down with her and I remember I was very emotional, you know, and there were tears and, and she just listened to me. And 
she said to me, you know, and I was Amanda then, because I thought you had to be more formal to be a doctor. Um, but she said, you know, Amanda, um, what are you interested in? You've done all this stuff with teaching. It's so amazing. How can we get you involved in something that you, you are passionate about? And that question changed my life. And I thought, wow, you, you actually look at what I care about. You're, you're thinking about me. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about how I can do something. Because I had people come up to me before and say, you need to do more. You need to pick a, a specialty within general medicine. You need to find something uh, that you like to do. You go on this committee or go on this committee. And I'm like, but I don't like those things. Mm-hmm. So to have someone actually look at me as a person and say, what are you interested in? And she said, I'm going to find you something. In fact, she said, I had something come across my desk that I think really fits you. And I'm going to advocate for you. So to have someone actually sit down and advocate. And what she advocated for me for was a position in an inaugural exam committee. The general internal medicine had just been made a formal specialty through the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Canada. And they had an ask out looking for people to create the exam and be on this exam committee. It was an inter, a national committee across Canada. And it was right up my alley, so teaching and general internal medicine. So I said, oh my gosh, thank you. Yes, please put my name forward. So she put my name forward and I got on that committee. And being on that committee changed my life because I met people all across Canada. There were educators, teachers. So talking about leaders in all different roles in our systems. So I sat at this table where I had expertise making the exam, but I got to sit with people with all of these cool jobs. And so I was on that committee from the inception of the committee, probably for eight or nine years. And while I was on that committee, I also got elected to the inaugural exam committee of palliative medicine when it became a new uh, Royal College specialty. Hmm. So it opened my eyes to all of the different areas in medicine and the system view of where we could contribute. And Norman has been my mentor ever since. And in fact, she just applied, uh, I want to say about a year and a half ago to be the zone director for medicine, which is a massive role in Edmonton. And she called me and she said, uh, hey, Mandy, can I use you as a name for being your mentor? Because mentorship is very important now. And I'm like, boy, Norman, I love how things come around, but I'll do anything to help you get this job because she really is somebody that is a humble leader and listens to people and really tries to move things forward and support people. So she was really, really important to my journey. You know, there's other people along the way, people that you sort of reach out to with certain situations, et cetera, but she's the one that was my glue. Yeah. That's lovely. That's really nice to hear. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, I hope hope she gets to listen. (laughs) I hope she gets to listen to this and, uh, that she knows uh, how I feel. I've told her this many times. (laughs) She wouldn't be surprised. I've told her many times how not getting promoted changed my life. Yeah. And I always say to people uh, with respect to leadership too, you know, if you don't get a position um, and we can talk about that if we don't have time, but if you don't get a position, it can be the best thing that's happened to you. You Just have to really think about what, what is it about it that you didn't get it or, or, you know, what was it? What learn something from? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe maybe it was part of some uh, some other kind of plan for our, our life path. You know, obviously you didn't exactly. get that, but exactly. you ended up Sometimes getting other things. it's not things. a match for a reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you again for that. Um, so I don't want to go down a, a, too much of a dark turn and, and go down any sort of uh, dark rabbit holes, but are, are there any kind of challenges that you've you've faced in your in your career any any kind of bullying or discrimination or harassment or anything like that that you're happy to talk about um and and if so how you coped with and moved moved past those things well you know that i'm pretty passionate about this topic too Mm. and a lot of it because it leads to conflict and people hating their jobs and sometimes suicide which uh, obviously we don't want to have anything to do with in any profession, having people get to that point where they're so sad with their life. Um, So I've really reflected back on my career and thought, what have I experienced? And how has that shaped me? And, you know, it's interesting because I live with chronic illness. So I have multiple sclerosis. And I'm somebody that really pushes that under the rug. I, I didn't let anyone know about that for a lot of years in my career. 
And when I was earlier on in my career, you know, being told to do more, you're not doing enough clinic or you're not doing enough um, committees and these kind of things. I didn't sit down and say, well, you know, I'm doing call and I'm up 72 hours in a row and I can't really live without sleep. And when I'm tired, I can't actually talk well because of my MS and I have difficulty walking. So this is really a problem. So I have this invisible disability. Yeah. You know, these invisible minority, basically, because I'm a white yeah. female. So I really don't, besides being a female, I don't have a big visible minority under other than the female part of things, but I do have this mm. chronic illness. And so I've I thought back on it and wow, um, no, no individual questions or um asking about that, even though I'd push really hard to change the system, even as the facility chief, because I needed it to change. Mm -hmm. as someone living with chronic illness, but not comfortable telling people that it was there. So I actually feel that this was very oppressive. And part Mm -hmm. of it's my fault, I guess, for not sharing that with people, but to be told I'm not good enough and I'm not working hard enough and I don't deserve to be promoted and um, you're not a high quality member of the team. Like these were what people were telling me. And, uh, you know, it's not in your face bullying where someone's yelling at you. But it really is harassment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being told that you're not good enough all the time and nobody yeah. asking what 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 the struggle is. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to teach people how we have the confidence and the power to bring it up. But also as a leader, how to ask. We have to ask. So, you know, I look back on that and I think that was really oppressive. Yeah, And as I got into leadership, I never really thought I was uh, marginalized be- being a female. In mm. fact, through my career, I thought it might have advantaged me somewhat. somewhat. Um, I always said, well, I, I haven't really been disadvantaged. I got into medicine. Um, I didn't really put a lot of the credit upon myself where really mm. the credit should have been. I was someone who really um, undermined my own skills. You know, yeah. I would I would play them down. And say, oh, it's something else that got me into that or something else. It's because of this Mm -hmm. or this. And I've really learned how to uh, play up my skills and have confidence in myself. But when I got into leadership, that's when I started recognizing the female biases. And it Mm -hmm. was huge, like really significant. And I was shocked at the differences between how I was treated as a female leader and how the men were treated. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in a conference one day, and this was just as the we were actually doing a project uh, where we changed how people were admitted to the wards. We were trying to localize patients on the wards based on the specialty where they were being admitted to and the physician they were being admitted to. So it was a big project. And so I was sitting in the morning, we sat down with everyone every morning. And I said something like, this is not what we were promised. It's not working the way this was promised. And I said it in probably that voice. And I said, we need to really regroup and try to get this working the way that it was meant to work. So I'm not yelling. I'm not, I'm just being definitive. I'm being assertive that this isn't what we agreed upon. So I'm walking down the hall about 10 minutes later and uh, the medical director at the time, he turns a call around the hall and he says to me, I hear you just lost your, uh, and then an explicit word (laughs) um, in the meeting this morning. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I heard you just went, went rogue (laughs) what? and this director was actually someone who would scream at people in the hall yeah and i thought that is a gender issue Mm. there is no way that someone can just be assertive and say this isn't what we wanted and other leaders are in the hall screaming and yelling at people yeah and i'm being called that i lost my whatever and that i was being assertive and aggressive and i I still tell people that I know that and they're like, there is, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard because I'm just not an aggressive, intimidating mm. person and always someone to ask, you know, I respect what you're doing. I'm not trying to mm. step on your feet. I want to work as a team. I want to hear your opinion. And I think a lot of it is because um, people feel they can tell women to stop talking. Yeah. And so I do feel that I've been marginalized as a female in leadership roles and it's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. 
but it's also empowering because I'm like, oh yeah, I've, I've got this. (laughs) Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna help other people get rid of it. But you do realize it's still really pretty pervasive that people get, um, bullied and whether it's overt bullying or that sort of covert Mm, bully and harassed and feel marginalized, which all of those things made me feel with the chronic illness and these comments, um, they make you feel marginalized at work. And that's where we start getting into the psychologically safe workplace or trauma-informed workplace, which is a big catchword here in Canada Mm. these days to really know that people have been through something and you have to ask them what they've been through, just like with my MS. Someone had to ask me what I'd been through and no one did. Yeah. So these sort of bullying and marginalizations can be subtle, but they really impacted my career because I felt not worthy. Yeah. And so, you know, as I went from one job to another, I felt not worthy. I felt that I wasn't included, even though I might've been included from their view, I felt that I wasn't going to be included because of my past experience. So it really did jade how I'd approach each job. And I never really realized that until recently, how much those experiences impacted me because I didn't allow myself to experience them and work through them. Mm -hmm. And I think the conflict work helps me in that because I see people struggling for 15 years with something that seems pretty Mm -hmm. straightforward because we have this self narrative, like I did with the, all my situations. Oh, they don't like Mm -hmm. me. They think I'm worthless. They don't think I have a, a specific niche. I don't belong on this team. I didn't get promoted. I'm no good. Like you go through this and and they their words that drag you down create that self-narrative. So then you drag yourself down. And so I do yeah. a lot of teaching in the conflict world. How do you get that confidence to bring yourself up and show people how to behave? Yeah. You know, in the moment. So it really yeah. has shaped me to be marginalized, but at the same time, it's it's hard. It it did make a lot of parts of my career difficult. Yeah. Gosh, thank you for thank you for sharing that with us. Um thanks for all the uh the advice. Well, I mean, yeah, the whole um assertive female equals aggressive female narrative is just oh, it's just it's just appalling, isn't it? It's been there, it's been there, it's very pervasive, yeah. yeah. It's been there yeah, such a long time and it's doesn't show any signs of really going anywhere at the moment either from from what i can see um yeah we just you know so yeah yeah um but we can we can i really do we keep plugging away yeah people people yeah exactly and and, you know how you say things but uh, it is really something that's perceived yeah we need more no more male allies i think speaking up um Mm -hmm. that would be that'd be good i mean that's why i that's why i do this podcast and uh um but yeah, yeah, no, thank I, you. And the- I was going to say I'm a huge believer in in men and all genders actually. But um, you know, I have three boys, mm. and I always talk to them because they feel marginalized that they're white males, <laughs> they're white privileged males, and um, you know, people say you can't use that word when you talk about white males marginalized. And I'm like, well, in the moment though, they are because their voice is just not seen as as being as uh, important sometimes because they're white men or they can't get the job as easily or whatever it may be, but they're allies. And um, my sons have really been allies to women. And that has been very encouraging because we can't do this alone. We have to be, I'm a huge advocate of people, every person. And so whether you're white or black or whether you've got green hair or blue hair or transgender or whatever it is, you're unique and you have something very special about you. And so that's what we have to figure out is how we learn. And that's the humble leadership is how do we learn about each other so that we can honor each other. And it doesn't matter that I'm a female or that I have weird hair at the moment. I used to have purple hair, but that's a long story. (laughs) Um, But, you know, none of those, or I have tattoos, you know, I have an armful of tattoos. Those things don't matter. What matters is who I am, how I can contribute, Mm -hmm. Um, all of those intrinsic personality things that are really going to make a difference to the system and not what I look like. So I'm really trying to promote that. So we need all different brands of allies, if you could put mm. it that way. We have to work together to get it done because females on their own, why would we want to do it on our own? Mm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's very true. Um, 
well that's that's really really great advice um and i and i i'm sure that the listeners will you know those who who need to learn those lessons about navigating their way through some of those challenges will really uh benefit from listening to your words there um do you have any other advice for our listeners on how to become strong kind leaders you're a you're a you're a humble leader an authentic leader i look at you i speak to you i know you um we've worked on stuff together before you're a strong uh, and kind leader in my opinion how how can people become what I, I I put on a bit of a pedestal as um as as two really important traits? Um being female leader, being strong and kind. How do you think you can get there? I think you have to have confidence in yourself and, and take the step. You know, they talk about that leap of faith. Mm. I think the leap of faith is really important. And uh the other saying, fail forward, I love it because. I always say we have to turn our failures into successes. Failure is Mm. awesome. Mm. Like be cool with that. Like really think if I apply for that job and I don't get it, great. I'm going to learn a ton from the interview. I'm going to um, get experience. I'm going to hear, I'm going to get some feedback. Like be ready to not get your wish on the first try and also be ready to put yourself out there and try some things with, in maybe not a formal role. So those are really important things. Put yourself out there. That's the first thing. Yeah. Have your have faith to put yourself out there. And if it doesn't work out perfectly, it's going to be an awesome experience because you're going yeah. to make it an awesome experience. Yeah. That's the first piece of advice. And the second piece of advice is find people. Make connections. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys use the leads framework for leaders, but there's a lot of frameworks about around there about what you need and competencies. But one of them is develop coalitions for the, this framework. And it's so important. Meet people. Who are the people that you can reach out to? So if you're in an informal leadership role and you think you sort of messed up something or all of a sudden things didn't work out, find people that you can go sit down with and say, boy, you know, you've been around a long time. I want to run this scenario by you and hear what you do. Mm. Because boy, that stuff is rich. And once you start doing that, you start meeting people. Mm. And they start going, oh, so-and-so is doing this informal leadership job. Boy, they might be really good at this formal leadership job because they had mm. the they had the intuition to come and talk to me when something didn't go right. That makes a mm. really good leader. You know, I love it when leaders come or people come and say, boy, can I run something by you? Because I think I could have done better. I'm like, wow, I want that person on my team. Mm. So next time a formal leadership role comes up, I think, wow, sometimes I'll even go talk to them. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say get out there, talk to people, let people know what you're interested in. Don't take mm. on something you're not interested in just to put it on paper. Yeah. Now I have done that before, for sure. Um, trying to, you know, buff up my CV to make it look good. Yeah. All those, those things are off my CV now. And I learned <laughs> that I don't like them. Sometimes you have to do things to realize you don't like them. <laughs> So that's very important as well. Yeah. You know, try things. You might not like yeah. everything. So yeah, those yeah. are my big two pieces of advice. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um okay, well, listen, we're 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 coming to the uh to the tail end of the interview now and I just wondered if you'd uh, hopefully I haven't I'm sure I haven't exhausted your your well of knowledge and wisdom. Um do you <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to have a are little you... cough. No, that's <laughs> That's fine. I know you you, you were poorly Getting with laryngitis over, over Christmas, so at least at least you can speak to me today. So that's that's something. You're not all horse. Um, have you have you have you got anything in your back pocket as take home leadership messages for the listeners? Well, I think those things that I just said about having confidence in yourself, but mm. realize that we're all leaders, mm-hmm. um, even when we do things wrong, in quotation marks. You know, people follow sometimes people who are not uh, good. (laughs) There are many examples in history of that. And um, I had a colleague recently talk about uh, one of the most horrific uh, men that's ever existed on the planet. I'm not going to mention the name to to give any uh, street cred to them, but said, what would have happened if that leader had had a different influence or a different perspective early on in their lives. Mm. 
because clearly they knew how to lead because they rallied people around this certain thing. And at first I was disgusted that they were even talking about the person. And then I thought, you know, that's very interesting. Mm. We all do have capability to rise, but in what direction do we rise is really within our ability to shape. And so I would say, you know, take the things that you think are not so skilled and polished within yourself. And if you like, if you like progression and you want to get better, work on those things, get some support from people around you and find some allies, find a mentor, you know, somebody that you trust, that you know, you can go to if you've had a bad day and you need some advice uh, and even one or two mentors and uh, really honor what you're going through. And that's something that's really important, the good and the bad. And those are some of my tattoos is how do we make those bad days part of our life? Because you'll have them. You will have them. You will not get a job that you really want. You will be told one day that you're a crappy leader. You're going to have to deal with those things. And then I think, well, why? Tell, I'm wondering why they told me that. I'm going to go back and say, I want to hear more about your thoughts about my leadership. Yeah. So, you know, that takes a really brave and vulnerable person. It really yeah. is hard. Yeah. And so if you can, if people can take a little tiny piece of themselves and be brave and vulnerable, and I, you probably know Brene Brown, and we yeah. all do love Brene Brown, but she talks about that vulnerability. And it is so mm. important to know how to be vulnerable and that you're okay putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know, you'll be perceived yeah. stronger. I tell this to my patients. Mm. You're stronger than going by going out of your comfort zone than you are by staying mm. in your comfort zone. It takes yeah. much more strength to do that. And so, um, you know, know that you have power and do it in little steps. And if you're not sure you'd be a good leader, you, try it. Yeah. The best leaders are ones that learn from their mistakes. So you can be a good leader. I really feel that it's it can be a learned skill. Some people have more intrinsic skill than others, but I really feel you can you can be a, the most fantastic leader and learn like right from the early stages. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. A lot a lot in there. That's really good. Um really appreciate all that. Some real really good nuggets in there. Okay. All right. So um so back to back to you. Um what what things are you currently excited to be working on that you'd like to share with the listeners? I'm laughing. I read those questions ahead of time. <clears throat> and as I was saying to you before, I have my, and as I was telling you with my leadership roles, I have my hat and so many things. You do. And um, <laughs> one of my colleagues said to me, why on earth aren't you just seeing patients? Because you'd wake, make way more money. And I'm like, true, <laughs> I would make way more money. <laughs> uh, but I decided that I want to always be involved in growth and fun. I want to have mm. fun, my career, my whole career. Like I'm 54. I've got probably about 10 more years left in me. I want to do something fun. Mm. And so I would say the most fun, because I like a lot of pieces of my work, but the most fun that I'm having is kind of in this middle leadership role mm. with the mediator and conflict coaching stuff. Mm. And so what I'm doing is I'm, Supporting teams and individuals work through conflicts that are deeply impacting them in their mm. workplaces. And some of these conflicts have been going on 10 years within teams and eroding the team's um, morale and culture. And some of them are one-on-one -on -one more recent. You know, people are uh, having disagreements on the wards and then it's impacting them so deeply that they want to quit. Yeah. And so I'm coaching people through this. And the mediation, I never intended to be a mediator at all, but the courses were so interesting that I just thought, well, I might as well finish now. I've done all the coursework. Um, but the mediation principles are so cool because when you're really in trouble, you go to a mediator. But why can't we bring those principles right early on? And it's yeah. all about learning what the real issues are and not just arguing about what happened in the past, but what do people care about? Uh, what are actually the problems? What are the solvable pieces? And so I work through this with people and it just switches a light bulb on. They're like, I don't even know why I was upset. And they start to be able to work through problems on their own. And I have a testimonial in, on my website that a, a physician just offered to give me actually, because she was ready to quit her job. 
And when she worked, and she was hesitant that this would work, but when she worked through with me, she just said, you know, I'm not bothered by this anymore. Like I see it as a workable problem. And if it happens again, I'll know how to approach it. And I'll know how to sort of block things off and go through what you call the rant, where you just have to get the emotion out and honor the emotion and everything that it's causing you. But then you work through these problems in kind of a regimented way, like a mediator would, and you can solve it. So Adam, I am loving working through this stuff and teaching people how to behave in the moment of someone. So you talk about bullying. And this is where I'm really excited about helping people or marginalization and diversity and inclusion issues. If someone gets a sense on the ward that someone's saying something to them that's wrong, and and often it's the tone of voice, it's not the words. So how do you raise a complaint about a tone of voice? It's very difficult to raise a formal complaint about that. People try, but there's not a lot of meat if the words aren't racist, for example, but they sense something really big. So I'm teaching people how to stop in the moment and just say, huh, I mean, what, what's happening? You know, this coaching principles. So these really open-ended, simple questions. And it turns situations around in a heartbeat with patients, mm-hmm. with colleagues, because no one's expecting you to not get inf- inflamed. Mm-hmm. They're expecting you to respond sort of, they yell at you. So you're going to be yelling at me and, you know, inflammatory mm-hmm. instead of saying, what's happening? It just disarms people. So this is the most fun I've had in years. Uh, so I'm working <laughs> on this coaching and conflict piece and mediation piece, and it's just great fun. But I think it's partly because I'm helping physicians enjoy their jobs again. And yeah. really, that's my goal is ultimately um, having people want to be doctors, want to stay in the medical profession, uh, get get that feeling that we got when we got the phone call that we got into medical school. And you're like, what? Yeah. What? I got it. You know, jumping around the house thinking you're going to be a doctor. And then all of a sudden, all this Mm. other stuff bogs you down. So I keep saying we got to get back to medicine. And that's that's the most exciting thing I'm doing right now, I Mm. guess. I love that. Yeah, that's a. I love the the way you describe that kind of getting back to that feeling of, yeah, when you got the call, when you got the letter through saying you got into med school or the day you passed finals, you know, and it's oh. like, oh, I'm, I'm a DR I'm now. A doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor, you know, yeah. and uh, I think we all remember those feelings, yeah. those of who are listening or physicians, yeah. but you don't have to be a physician. It can be getting that first yeah. job yeah. yeah, or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And you're yeah. so proud of yourself. And then they start eroding that. So how do we get back to that feeling? This is so exciting. Life is great. I love that. And I just think you're, you know, the coaching and the conflict resolution and the mediation, they are just, they they complement one another and dovetail so beautifully. What a a fantastic skill set you have. Um, Such kind of natural symbiosis, I think, between those disciplines. Yeah, it's such a strange thing to do. People say, well, you do what? And you're a physician too. And oh my gosh. But it shows you that when you're interested in something Mm -hmm. and it's nothing to do with all these little letters behind your name, but you'll find things that you're interested in and you're going to want to do it. Yeah. And so then you go do a course and you're like, this is amazing. And so then you do another course and all of a sudden you're one exam away (laughs) from having some certification. (laughs) So that's sort of how things happen in life sometimes. That's lovely. And I can tell you're so genuinely excited about it as well. It's you're just so animated. I, I love I love yeah. it. Absolutely love it. I do so <laughs> if any of the listeners would like to reach out to you, and I really hope they do, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I love talking to like-minded people or people who need help or whatever it is. So if you can see on the screen how my name is spelled. If uh, my website is amandabrisebois.md.com. So it's HTTPS colon front slash front slash or something like that. Amandabrisebois.md.com. And there's a section on there. It says book a call. You can book a call as a colleague or a professional or book a conflict call, just an introduction, 30 minute call. Uh, If you're just interested in what I'm doing, you can book a call. So there's, that's the best way to get a hold of me for sure. Because all of those roles I have, I never had a website or calendar or anything. I never really um, needed it. I don't really have a business. Like all my work is intrinsic. However, um, it coordinates all of my roles. So Mm. when you book a call there, it shows when I'm free. (laughs) So it's been very, very useful to have that. 
Um, but I do support people out of province, et cetera. And I'm trying to do that. I'd love to do that, start doing some of that work. So if there's people who are interested, I'd love to talk to them. Yeah, lovely. And as obviously this uh, is, is videoed, but for the podcast um, audio, you'll see Mandy's surname on the um, uh, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, whatever. But uh, just in case you want to know, it's B-R-I-S-E-B-O-I-S is how you spell Breezeball. Perfect. Lovely. So anyway, we'll um, um, put some links in the show notes, which, which whatever you want putting in the show notes, we'll put in there. And um, really all that remains to say is, do, do you have any closing words you'd like to share with the listeners before we say? I, I mean, Adam, what I usually say at the end of these podcasts is thanks to you. And to, to have this kind of forum and have a male colleague and I'm not trying to be gender negative or anything, but I to have an ally who's not the same gender as me doing all these podcasts for women and holding women up and all of the coaching work and teaching and everything that you do. I'm just honored to be here and to know that there's people like you out there doing this. And when I first met you, I was just so happy and impressed that you were doing what you were doing and felt bonded right away. And so I want to thank you. That's the first thing for doing what you do. And I want to thank the people who are listening, who also are invested in this work, because I really feel that all of us together, we really can make a difference in this realm and we can help people have better lives. So thank you for what you do and for having me. I've really enjoyed it. I I just love talk. Well, I guess I like talking about myself, Adam. Isn't that terrible? That's well, horrible. Oh well, not at all. Not at all. Well, you know what? To be fair, um, guests who come on who aren't interested in talking about themselves wouldn't really be that entertaining or informative, would they? So I do, I do, yeah. I do need a certain amount of self indulgence, you know. So I'm okay, very we need happy. to have a podcast where someone interviews you, though, because I want to hear your story now. Oh, I've done. I've done about forty. It's it's all good. It's, it's I'll, go. I'll, yeah, I'll sign. I'll right. signpost some of the links to you. But thank you awesome. for thank you for <laughs> thanking me and thank you for thanking the listeners. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I I I would like this to be. Uh, I think movement might becoming a movement might be a grandiose term, but certainly a ripple in the right direction um, to uh, to educate all people um on the the wonderful lessons that my guests have learned and and can impart so um yeah um i think you and i just need to have a chat show basically uh this is what i'm i'm figuring i'd love it adam <laughs> i we're on different sides of the pond as they say and it's always great to have those different perspectives but i think it would be fabulous so i think it would be good actually <laughs> honestly let's talk about i think that. i found I my love- my um my my other half in the entertainment I would industry. love that and so. <laughs> um you know it's funny because well one of my my best colleagues she's a liver specialist and we keep saying we should videotape our conversations because <laughs> we disagree about a lot of stuff you know I'm a palliative it's medicine good. general yeah. medicine she's a hepatologist gastroenterologist we see things from different views and that's where we learn the most yeah because she's like well why do you do that and I'll say well this is why I do that why do you do that and so we have these really open uh, conversations and at the end we go wow what a revelation darn we didn't have that recorded that would have made a great <laughs> podcast so i do think it's sometimes these conversations that are Definitely. more interesting than anything absolutely fantastic well thank you again so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom and wonderful advice with us and thank you to the audience for listening so until the next episode in two weeks time i wish you all health happiness and inspiring leadership take care Thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the Inspiring Women Leaders podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you did, please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Dr. Adam, Physician Coach, So please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline. So please keep a regular eye on my website 
www.dradamharrison.com. That's www.dradamharrison.com for updates. Thank you again for your time today, and please join me next time, two weeks from now, on Alternate Wednesdays, for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Inspiring Women Leaders.